You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlick. My wife and I, my wife, her name is Jessica, and we got married in January of 2007. Facebook was only a couple of years old. Can you imagine 2007? MySpace was kind of maybe, no, it wasn't a thing anymore at that point. Anyway, we got married ancient of days ago. And when my wife and I first got married and we're getting used to just living together and, and the whole marriage thing, I noticed immediately that my wife is like the heaviest sleeper that I've ever been around in my entire life. My wife could sleep through a hurricane, through a tornado. If there was gunfire outside, my wife would absolutely sleep through it. And the other thing about my wife, which is funny when we first got married, is that not only did I discover that she's a heavy sleeper, but like we would be laying in bed and I'd be asking her questions. This was right before she would fall asleep. And she was in that falling asleep zone, but not asleep yet moment. We would have full on conversations. I'd ask her questions. What do you think about this? How do you want to handle this situation? We wake up in the morning and I'm executing the decisions that we made together. And she's like, what the heck are you doing? I said, but we talked last night. I said, we talked, you agreed to this. She's like, no, I didn't. I said, yes, you did. I realized that the best way for me to get what I wanted was to ask her at night and then she wouldn't remember it and I'd tell her that she agreed to it. By the way, that's awful marriage counseling. Don't agree to that even a little bit. But so then, you know, so we get married and truly she could sleep through anything. And I'm the opposite side of that. I'm the kind of, who's a light sleeper in here? Any of us? Come on, talk to me, people. I'm like, if a gust of wind blows, I'm like, what's happening right now? So I have to sleep with a fan on. If not, I'm like just going crazy all night long. So then, of course, we're going to, we, uh, all the way back in 2009, we've been married for two years, and we realize that we're pregnant and we're expecting our first kid. And in my mind, I'm like, how is a heavy sleeper going to deal with a kid who wakes up all night long? And we're living in Nicaragua at this point. And the weirdest thing that I've seen happen was my wife, the heavy sleeper, became my wife, the ninja ears. Because the moment that our daughter was born, it'd be at night, she would hear our daughter crying and she would get up. Now, it was such a radical transformation that I was like, really, truly shocked. I was like, what is happening right now? She was our daughter. She wouldn't even tell me, our daughter's crying. And her hearing, even though she's a heavy sleeper, became so distinguished, my wife would tell me what kind of cry that was. Oh, she's hungry. Oh, she's upset. Oh, she's scared. I'm like, what is, who are you right now? The reason I tell you all this is that once my wife became a mom, something shifted in who she was. And once you just, when you realize who you are, it actually affects what you do. And the reason why it matters of who we are is because for us in this room, the question is, well, who is Renovation Church? This is something that I've been talking to you guys about when I'm here. Who are we? And what we're gonna do this morning is take a break from the Disconnected series we've been in, and I wanna tell you who we are. Different pieces of who we are and why we do the things we do and why we think the way we think and what we believe. And so the title of my message this morning is simply this, is we choose to sow. This is who we are. We are people who believe in sowing. Now, I know there's not probably a farmer in the room, and uh, I have three kids now, and one of them discovered that 
you put a seed in the ground and it grows. And so we have two big water oak trees in our yard that drop acorns all the time. And he grabbed one of the acorns and he says, if you plant this, will a tree grow? We said, yes. He goes, awesome. And so he runs over, puts the little acorn in the ground and just sits there and stares at it. And we had to have a little conversation. At that point, he was three, just a little three-year-old. I mean, I'm talking like eager anticipation, like, come on, buddy, you can do this. You can, and we're like, but it doesn't work exactly like that. You put a seed into the ground and it wait a long time and you grow up and you realize these things. But we're not farmers in the room, but we get the concept of putting something in the ground and what you put in is what you're gonna get out. The Bible talks about sowing a lot. We, as a, as a church, we choose to sow. Now, I'm gonna ask you a question And I legitimately want you to think about this. Don't tune me out. Here's the question, ready? Imagine that you could go back in time to your younger self for a second. What would you tell your younger self? Imagine we dismiss service, there's a bunch of DeLoreans out there. You hop in the car, you get 88 miles per hour, you go back in time. What would you actually tell? For real, think about it. What would you tell your younger self? Would you tell about, hey, what to do with money? Be like, listen, I have a great idea. You put your money in this place. Would you tell your younger self about relationships? I would be careful with that relationship over there. Or, listen, do this. If you could actually go back in time, what would you do? I have way more embarrassing moments in my life than the average human being. If I had the opportunity to go back in time, I'd probably go back and be like, listen, dude, don't do that. that you're an idiot. What, just stop. There's one time we first moved to Greenville. I first moved to Greenville. And uh, this is before Woodruff Road was a huge, huge thing. This is back in 2004. And so moved to Greenville. We're going to the movies. I'm a broke kid. And I decide to myself, you know what? I want to beat the movie theater system and not buy $800 popcorn. I'm going to go to the McDonald's right in front and sneak the food in. Listen, I get that's not good, okay? But that's my mentality in 2004. And so I go, I buy McDonald's, I get a chicken nugget combo. It's winter time, There's a ja- I have a jacket on, I got some pants. And I realize I've gotta get the food into the actual theater itself. And so my rain jacket has two big pockets, so chicken nuggets one side, fries one side, check, check. But I'm holding my drink, and I'm like, how do I get this thing? Have you ever bought a drink at the theater? Yes, you have to take out a loan. It's minimal interest, anyway. I think to my younger self, I can slide my drink in my pants. (laughs) Yes, it's already a horrible story. So I do. So my buddies that are waiting for me to get my McDonald's combo, they're waiting for me to come up and they see me walking and I'm walking like this, like I just got off riding a horse for four hours. They're like, what is happening right now? And so I'm walking up into the theater and I'm gonna get my ticket. You know how the, the cup can be soft? So out of nowhere, the lid pops off, which is the only thing holding it all together. And the pants compress. They don't know that I've slid in a cup in my pants. And immediately, Dr. Pepper just douses. And it looked like I just peed myself for four hours. Did I just make you feel better about yourself, by the way? I hope I did. That's, I just wanna encourage you this morning. And my buddies are like, what, did, what just happened to you? Are you okay? And, and I was like, well, and I told the story, went inside, sat through a movie with drying Dr. Pepper. Do you know how miserable that is? So if I could go back in time, and by the way, I have a lot of stories like that in my life. Jeremy, just don't do that. 
Now, you're like, how are you tying that in? Here's the ultimate tie-in, ready? You're like, this is gonna be the weirdest phrase, by the way, and I want you to think about this. Jesus, when we look at the Bible and we see what he has to say, Jesus is from the future. I know that's probably never thought about it that way. He's from the future. He's from where things are going to be. He's, he's from that time where we can't simply visualize in our minds of a forever and an eternity, of when things are gonna be set right, of when the world's gonna be put in, this, in the place that it's meant to be in. He's from that place. And so when Jesus, 2,000 years ago, comes back, he's gonna speak to us as people, guiding us and saying, listen, if you're gonna do something with your life, do it for what makes sense, what? For where things will be. In other words, I'm here to tell you what matters most. And the reason he can speak to what matters most is because he's in the future. If you could go back and tell yourself what matters most, you would guide your younger self into the things that would benefit them the most. Jesus does the exact same thing when we read his stories and when we read him interacting in the world around us. He's saying if you're gonna live your life, if you're gonna invest, do it in the things that matter most. And so where we're gonna dive in is Matthew chapter 13. And again, we're taking a pause from the Disconnected series, but Matthew chapter 13 we start reading, Jesus is gonna talk about something that really, really matters to Jesus. It's the kingdom of God. He calls it the kingdom of heaven. And 129 times in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus refers to the kingdom. And so we're gonna dive in. We're only gonna look at two different elements of this, but in Matthew 13, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. He says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. So here Jesus is from the future and he's living among us. This is way beyond our past, 2,000 years ago. And he's saying the kingdom of heaven, a, a kingdom you cannot see, but is very, very, very real. And he's trying to describe what this kingdom is to us and give us an understanding of what its value means. And so he describes it as what he just finished doing is a treasure hidden in a field. And then in verse 45, he goes on to explain it in a similar fashion. He said this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. By the way, I read an article of a guy uh, recently. He was, eating, uh, uh, he was eating at a restaurant, seafood, and he was eating oysters and there happened to be a purple, a pearl hidden in one of the oysters. So he paid for his meal, he went home and found out that that purple pearl that was in there was worth $4,000. Anyway, let's all go seafood afterwards. Just make sure y'all are faithful. Anyway, right, let's keep going. I don't know, where am I? Verse 45, okay. Uh, verse 46. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. So let's stop here. What matters most, the God from the future and the past and the present, by the way, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. He is telling us that there's a value so great that's worth selling everything and investing in that one thing. Someone sells a field to buy this one treasure. Someone is willing to go after the pearl that's precious. Here God is communicating with all of us that there's something that's worth more than anything else out there that it's worth absolutely everything. And he says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, I mentioned this last time I was here. Kingdom simply means the king's dominion. That there's a king who wants to have dominion in our lives. 
what we talked about last time, is, is the king's dominion. Now, I wanna show you a picture, the hurricane that just kinda went through last weekend. This is a picture actually of the coast in South Carolina. This is Merle's Inlet. Last weekend, uh, I was there at, or no, I, was, I wasn't there, excuse me, I was in my house and someone got married at this place in Merle's Inlet. And they texted me and said, you need to see what Merle's Inlet is like. By the way, Pastor Brad and Robin happened to be at the beach when the hurricane came through and checked on them and the, just, anyway, how the Lord protected you guys is just, it's awesome. They were there at the same time too, not too far actually, I think from this, but this is Merle's Inlet. And my buddy texted me this, him and his wife got married there. And he's like, the devastation from the storm that came through was so significant. And, and he was just talking a little bit about that. But then he sent me a follow-up picture of as the storm went through and it be, the waters began to recede of what Merle's Inlet began to look like afterwards. I'll show you the next one, it looks like this. And the transformation is really stark. Pictures can do a thousand words. They can explain things. Now, Jesus in this story, when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about everything that he wants to give up for us. He is saying that there's something so valuable that he's willing, the person, whether the farmer or the person wanting to buy the pearl, that they're willing to give up everything so that this treasure that is found is, and Jesus is actually, and they don't understand it in Matthew 13, he's actually talking about himself. Because the kingdom of heaven means wherever the king wants to actually have dominion. Where does the king, according to scripture, want to actually have dominion? Well, you look at it, and the Bible makes it clear that where God wants to have dominion is in our hearts. And Jesus says there's something so valuable that he's willing to walk away from everything to sell it all and then to come and buy the one thing that matters most. Well, what did Jesus do? He left heaven, he gave his life to what? To buy us back. So Jesus is talking about that. And he says there's a kingdom that is so valuable. So to Jesus, the God of the future, he looks at you and us, me, and he says, you are so valuable to me that I wanna make this investment of walking away from other things to be able to buy you back. Why? The reason I showed you the picture of Merle's Inlet is this. In life, which is very hard, storms come and go, moments of difficulty happen. But in life, those that allow God to make their hearts, his home, it makes all the difference in the world. When the king is able to have dominion in someone's life, when the king is able to have dominion in someone's heart, when the king is able to have dominion in someone's marriage, when the king is able to have dominion in a church, wherever the king is, by the way, and he sits on a throne that's unshakable, there's peace because he's a God of peace. It doesn't mean things are easy. It means that there's joy. It means that the fruits of the spirit can actually work in that place so the king can actually have dominion. And I have seen as a pastor over and over and over again how people can come from broken situations, but when they start following God, he's able to transform them around. I've seen the impossible happen. And so what matters most to God is that the kingdom, which by the way is you and I, that the kingdom of God is worth it so that he left heaven to come and find us. So future Jesus says, you are worth it. You are enough. I'm gonna believe in you. So then 2,000 years later, here we are in a church in Greenville, South Carolina, by the way, in the most beautiful sanctuary. This is my favorite building, by the way. This is my favorite church building. I think this place is stunning. Here we are 2,000 years later. The question is, what matters most to us? 
What is the thing that we value? Because the things that you end up valuing are the things that you're gonna actually invest in. The things that you really care about are the things that you're gonna give your time and attention to. So then for us, now 2,000 years later, what do we value as Renovation Church? What do we choose to sow? What do we choose to invest in? Well, I wanna take you to another passage. Let me tell you what we sow matters. Let me take you to another passage, and this is an earlier passage in Matthew 13. Here Jesus is in verse 31 and 32. Here's another illustration Jesus used. This is Matthew, just a couple of verses earlier. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree. Birds come and make their nests in its branches. By the way, there's another passage that says this. If you had faith like a, come on, y'all can talk back. Don't be afraid. Faith like a what? Come on, people. All right, y'all are reading your Bible. Look at that, I love it. And it says this, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you would tell this mountain to what? So Jesus here uses the mustard seed as this idea that the kingdom of heaven is like this seed, it's small. By the way, if you had small faith, now let me just, a couple faith things. Jesus, by the way, it's, I believe this, that when he's telling his disciples that if he had faith like a mustard seed, you could tell this mountain to move. I believe, by the way, at that time, Herod the Great, he was called Herod the Great because he did great architectural things in the time. He wasn't great because he was a great man. He was actually a horrible man. Herod the Great actually built a palace on a mountain that he had people move for him. He built a mound using slave labor to build the dirt. So he actually, with labor, moved a mountain. And I believe when Jesus is telling him, if he had faith like a mustard seed, you would say this mountain move and it would move. I wonder if Jesus is actually with his disciples looking at a mountain that Herod the Great had moved and said, if you had faith, you could say to this mountain move and it would move. That's a separate thing. Anyway, just a little Bible nerd thing. But faith, and let's talk about faith for just real quick, ready? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The Bible says that in Hebrews. Faith, and I grew up in the church. I grew up in the charismatic church. Let me say these things about faith. Faith is not pretending that everything is okay. Faith is trusting that God is good. Sometimes we feel like faith is wishing upon a star or imagining things. You know what? The Bible, life can be very hard. And faith is never meant to be something that you and I pretend. Faith is meant to trust that God is good even when things don't make sense. So faith is believing and standing on who God is regardless of what we see. And by the way, we walk by faith and not by Come on, y'all got this stuff. Man, I'm giving you guys an A, this is awesome. Because faith is meant to be these things. Now let me just, I'll say one more thing about faith. It is not the greatness of our faith that moves mountains. Sometimes we think it's how good and great our faith is. What moves mountains is actually the greatness of God. It is his greatness. It is not the greatness of your faith or my faith. It is our faith in the greatness of God that actually changes things. That should help you when you pray because sometimes we think if I just pray harder, if I just pray stronger, I'm here to free you up, ready? It is your job to trust in his greatness and your faith, when it trusts in his greatness, that's when things can actually happen. So it's not the greatness of our faith, it's the greatness of our God. But here Jesus is and he says, the faith, or not the faith of mustard seed, but the mustard, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And when it grows, it can become substantial. It can become a large tree where people can gather and people can believe in it. So here's the thing, it takes faith to plant things. It takes faith to sow things. It takes faith to do this, why? Well, let me, let me, let me talk about that. Let me, let me give you a thought. Here's a thought for us as Renovation Church as to who we are. This is what I believe in wholeheartedly and have lived it out myself. I pray that we would be a church that lives for what matters most and not just what matters now. 
that we would be people who live for what matters most, not just what matters now. If for Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, which is people, which is us, which is the church. The church, by the way, is not an institution. The church is people. It's us. It's David Ward. It's Brad. It's John Dickerson. It's you. It's me. We don't go to church. We are the church. We are the people of God. We are those that God has called and, and transformed. And so, but here's the thing. The kingdom of heaven is like a little seed that gets planted into a ground. When you put a seed into a ground, there's always a guarantee of what is end up happening in the future. You don't know how things are going to play out. You don't know how things are going to land. And so it's difficult. You know why it's difficult? Because you and I live in a culture of instant gratification. We need everything to happen now. Who has a, who has a crock pot in the church? Talk to me. Anyone? You go to the good barbecue places, what do they tell you? We've been cooking this thing for 24 hours straight. Something I say in Simpsonville, and I've said in Simpsonville a lot, ready? We are a microwave generation people who serve a crockpot God. We are. But so many times, I really believe that we miss out on what matters most because we're so focused on right now. And I'm here to tell you something. We as a church... We, I believe with all my heart, will value what matters most. This kingdom, this people coming to be transformed by, by Jesus and the message of the gospel and by his church. So, a couple of thoughts that I wanna be able to share with you as to who we are and why this matters to us. The first is this. What sowing means for us is simply this. We may not always see a return right away. Let me give you another one back to back with this, ready? We as a church, I want you to know that we are willing to give without expecting a return. So, the local lead pastor, Captain Joe Cuyar, Joseph Cuyar, the fifth or fourth or ninth, it's a whole Joseph Cuyar line. So, um, a couple of years ago, he was our worship pastor in Simpsonville. And we've had the similar heart for a long time. We wanna believe in what God is doing, not just in Renovation Church, but in God's kingdom. Why? Because God's kingdom is full of people that God has redeemed. And we believe and love and celebrate the local church. Joe comes to me and says, I have this idea. I wanna launch something called the Worship Cooperative. I said, that's awesome. What is that? He goes, I wanna be able to train worship people in other churches. I said, Joe, that is awesome. He goes, can I use my time that I would be using for Renovation Church to help launch people in other churches? I said, that sounds awesome, honestly. I would love for you to use your time that you would be using for Renovation Church to actually help other churches. And then he said, I've been invited to lead worship at First Baptist Simpsonville. I said, that's awesome. And then he said, I've been invited to lead worship at Hope Church. By the way, Hope Church, which is in Spartanburg and Simpsonville, they just bought where Platinum Plus used to be. And they're launching a church. And do you know when I found that out? You know what I said? I said, that's awesome. I'm like celebrating that. I'm like, I couldn't be more fired up. I'm like, go Hope Church. I'm gonna start going there myself. I'm like, this is awesome. But Joe comes to me, I've been invited to lead worship at Hope Church. And I'm like, okay, how many churches are you leading worship for? That's not renovation. I was like, you know what, that's awesome. And so we launched this thing called Worship Cooperative and you need to understand the heartbeat behind this was strictly to help train up people for worship in different church environments. And so a couple of years ago, out of the resources that we had as a body, Joe leading the charge launched worship. In fact, we have people in the room, the reason you're here is because of Worship Cooperative. And Joe launched us. And today, there's a school that's actually at First Baptist Church in Simpsonville, which is a massive church, by the way, 
They had an old school they weren't using. And so they allowed us to go in there and we know, might know the story. They allowed us to go in there. We went in there and fixed up the space. And today there's a school for training worship people right there locally in the upstate area. Let me show you some pictures, ready? Here's some pictures of some different, these are coaches and students learning. And here's the thing with Worship Cooperative. You might recognize Brian right there. You might recognize some of the people in the pictures. Do you know what I love about this? Is that for years we did this completely free for any church that wanted it. We invested in their worship people. We invested in their church community. We invested in their volunteers. They would say, how many, I should have asked you this beforehand. This is good planning, right? This is, anyway, how many churches have we helped, do you think? 15, 19 on the spot? 350,000 churches we've helped. By the way, that's pastor counting. You multiply every, it's like going from Fahrenheit or Celsius to Fahrenheit. Okay, anyway, here's more pictures. So we as a church, we made a strong commitment to say, we don't just care about the worship at Renovation Church, we wanna help build up volunteers and worship environments in any church that, that would want help. In fact, a couple of years ago, we had a pastor call us up. His worship pastor quit, gave him two days notice, and he didn't know what he was going to do on a Sunday morning. Do you know what we did? We sent an entire praise team for a solid month to lead worship at that pastor's church, giving them enough time to be able to do it. Why? Because the seeds that we're sowing are for his kingdom. Because we don't just believe in what happens in these doors. We believe in what God is doing in the community. What we believe what God is doing in the upstate. You know why? Because right around here are hundreds of churches that this morning are opening up God's word and proclaiming God's truth. And we're not just isolated and alone. You know what we are? We believe in a kingdom. And it seems maybe small like a mustard seed at times. But Jesus said the kingdom of heaven may seem small. But when you believe in it, when you care about it, it can grow into something significant. And so along with Worship Cooperative, we as a church, we sowed a seed. You know what we did? We believed, we actually launched a completely, as a church, us, renovation, us, you and I in this room, we launched a completely separate organization called Church Cooperative, geared for churches to be able to work together. And it runs behind the scenes. And then out of Church Cooperative, there's a ministry that you may know of, you've been announcing it here on Sunday mornings, called One Prayer. One Prayer is part of Church Cooperative. And we had the opportunity to be some of the founding people who launched One Prayer. And tonight at five o'clock or this afternoon at five o'clock, many churches of different denominations, of different backgrounds, even of different languages, we're gonna be gathering together in the upstate all the way in Berea, if you can find it, by the way. I don't know where Berea is on the map. Anyway, if you can find it, you can get there. We're all gathering together to worship one king who has one dominion and he is worthy to be praised. And what we have done, Renovation Church, is in the past several years is we have sown seeds and we have believed in things and we haven't ever asked to get anything in return. In fact, we put in $20,000 of work to First Baptist Simpsonville for our worship school and there was zero contract signed. Why? Because we believe in sowing into something that vastly outweighs all of us in this room. Sometimes you have to put something in the ground and not expect to get something back right away. And I'm here to tell you, Renovation Greenville Church, look at me, in the eyeballs. Don't just live for right now. Live for what matters most. Live for something significant. Jesus came from the future. I know it sounds so weird, but I want you to have an understanding. And he says what matters most is people. People are part of the kingdom. People are the church. And we get a chance to celebrate this. And so what we want to do is we want to believe in people. We want to believe in church. We want to believe in the kingdom without expecting anything in return.
We wanna sow into the church. We believe in the church. And here's the question, why? Why do we do all this? Simple answer is because we believe that God is able. I believe with all of my heart that God is able. So there's, there's someone in our church who a couple years ago, her husband was working in Dubai and um, she went out to visit him for Easter. This was like maybe in 2019, 2018. And she flew out there and she happened to be out there for Easter. And she came back and she told me, Christians over in the Middle East, um, by the way, persecution happens all the time. How do Christians get together to worship God in the kingdom in that environment? She told me, do you know what some of them do? They have a bus, that's their church. And two people get on the bus, they go on. Once all the church is on the bus, you know what they do? They have worship service while the bus is driving around. And then when church is over, they let people off two at a time. That's an awesome way to have church. Let's get on the bus. And she goes, I did that. But she said, for Easter in Dubai, the one day out of the year where, that, where, where they allow Christians to be public with their faith is on Easter. And she said she was there on Easter Sunday when they allowed Christians to publicly worship God. And you know what they did? They allowed them to get baptized in the water right there in the beaches. And she said on Easter morning, Thousands of Christians came out of nowhere and they ran to the water and they were getting baptized. And she goes, it was one of the most powerful things that she'd seen. I'm here to tell you something. All the stats that say that the church is dying and you look at our, you look at our world around us and it seems to be getting worse and not better. I'm here to tell you something. The king is not dead and neither is his kingdom. And there in this area are thousands upon thousands of Christians right here in the upstate who are believing in God, who believe in his kingdom, who believe the gospel is still relevant today, who believe that he still transforms, that believe in a God who's willing to leave heaven to come down to where we are, to renew us and to buy us back. We believe in this God. And here, you know what we believe, Renovation Church? We believe that his kingdom, which is people, is mixed all throughout the upstate. And we don't all have to look the same. We don't have to act the same. The kingdom can be and should be diverse because unity is not the same thing as uniformity. That means there can be different kinds of churches. Some churches' services go for two and a half hours. I grew up in a church, it went four hours long. That, by the way, is awful. <laughs> and I was a pastor's kid, so I had to sit on the front row. I wanted to develop a line of sneaky, like, like, Toys that you could play with while sitting on the front row that looked like they were spiritual things. That was my goal. A four hour long service is miserable, but some people, you know how they worship God? By being in a service for four hours. Why? Because there's different kinds of people who make up the kingdom of God. So you and I, church, we are gonna be a church that believes in his kingdom because we believe in what matters most, that God redeems people. And you know what Jesus said in John 17? He said this, the world will believe that I am real, ready, when you and I are one. So we believe in sowing into this. And for years we have sown into this. And tonight when we come together and we worship God tonight, do you know what we're gonna see? We're gonna see all kinds of different people. Some of them charismatic, some of them not charismatic, some of them even a little bit reformed, some of them even a little bit Baptist. You heard the, light, the jokes about how many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Okay, anyway, I won't do that. Different denominations, different styles, one God. And we gather together and we believe in this one God. We believe that this one God left heaven to come and give his life for us. And do you know what we have a chance to be part of? We get a chance to be in the mix. But it takes us sowing seeds to believe in things that don't always give an immediate return, to launch a worship cooperative school, 
to invest in the worship leaders. By the way, do you know Joe's heart? I don't know if he's ever said this from stage or not, probably not. We are concerned that the younger generation growing up, they're not getting music lessons anymore. They're not learning how to play instruments anymore. So there's gonna be a deficiency in the body of Christ of people who can lead worship. Do you know what we wanna try and help do? Do you know what he wants to try? Joe, I honor you. By the way, when people said, how much does it cost? Joe could have charged. And I think he could have done so many different things with it. You said, no, this is to the benefit of the body. That's who your local lead pastor is. Especially because we made no money back in the day. And you, had 30, you have 35 kids. So their van is the bus that they use overseas to do church service. And so... Y'all get what I'm saying. Anyway, I'm, okay. Relax a little as church, we're fine. Joe, I honor you too, man, because you made it about his kingdom. So Joe's heart is, I wanna see young people be able to have an instrument and be able to lead worship in church settings. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is who we are. We will not shy away from sowing. But in order to sow these things and to do these things, we have to do it because we believe that God is able. I believe with all of my heart that God is able. I'll end with this verse. Ephesians 3, 20, ready? Now all the glory to God who is able through his mighty power work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Let me give you a quick snapshot, ready? I believe in the upstate currently right now that pastors and churches, we used to feel like we competed against each other. Who's the biggest, who's the best? I'm here to tell you something, I don't believe that's the case anymore. I meet with pastors all the time. In fact, we had a meeting yesterday with pastors. I'm gonna tell you something, I love those pastors. When, that, when they get a win, I get a win. What God has done is he's torn down the walls of pastors feeling like they need to compete. Now, it's just awesome. I believe the next step is churches learning what it means to actually support and love each other and work together. We're doing it a little bit, but I believe that God is able to cause it so that his kingdom we share the resources that we have. When one church needs something, another church says, we got what you need, and vice versa. And I'm gonna tell you, you know what we've been doing? We've been sowing a seed that this is possible, this is possible. Why? Because I believe with all of my heart that God is able to bring churches of different backgrounds and denominations together. In fact, I believe it so much, we've invested our resources, our finances into it, and you need to know, Renovation Church, we give to all the local churches in the area. We launch worship schools. We build mission programs around churches working together. Why? Because God is on the move and he is not done. And what it would be like for a divided world to see a united kingdom, it would be unstoppable. That's who we are. We choose to sow. We may not see the return right away. The change may not be right away, but it will come because I believe with God is on the move. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for one prayer tonight. I pray for Curtis and Joseph as they've been leading that. I pray for the pastors who are involved in that. I pray, Lord, as it's an expression of churches who don't agree on everything but agree on the main things, coming together to worship you. And a lot of our worship team helping lead worship. I pray, God, for one prayer. I pray, God, for worship cooperative. I pray for Christians in the upstate to realize that the kingdom is at hand and that you are moving, God. 
And I pray specifically for Renovation Church that we would be willing to be a church that invests without expecting a return, that is willing to invest without needing an immediate reward, that is willing to invest and to believe in the long haul, that is willing to invest in those who can have a kingdom mindset because I believe with all of my heart, God, that you can absolutely do what only you can do, which is transform this area. You can bring unity to the church body. You can allow for churches to work together. You can cause Christians to stop fighting over stupid stuff and start believing in who you are and what you have done. We can believe in the kingdom and in where you want to have dominion, and we can believe this wholeheartedly, God. And we can, I, I, I believe we can see you do something that I've never seen in my lifetime move with unity in the church. And until we see that, God, may we be a church that sows seeds and sows seeds and sows seeds to build up your church and not just ours. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for today. In your mighty name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.